pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To one life left live at GDC, and for the very, very first time, we are twitching. I mean, not the first time I've twitched before, uh, but the first time in a formal circumstance. Um, I, I don't is, believe that's true either, Steve. This is like the first meeting. You know, when you finally get to put a face to the name, and we have got faces and names and we've also got apologies uh, we are a British radio show we've been broadcasting for 10 years uh, from London England on Resonance FM and this is the first time some of our listeners will have seen us faces for radio <laughs> 100% uh, how are you guys doing Pretty good. Uh, I had a very, very nice night last night, being sociable, doing some networking, doing some deals, because okay. uh, that's what Game Developers Conference is about. We did no deals. Uh, we hung out in a bar, and we met some nice people, uh, didn't we, Anne? We met some very nice people, and some terrible uh, friends, mm. who did some naughty things. I sh- yeah, it's true. It's, uh, I had my passport defaced <laughs> last night. And which, is a, which is illegal, isn't it? It is it illegal. Is illegal. Sort of. Yeah, and it was Anne who did it. <laughs> you fessed up, did you? I did. So here we are. Right, good. Uh, we should explain. Um, my name is Steve Curran. I'm a video game designer. Hello, I'm Simon Byron. Uh, I work for Curve Digital. Uh, I'm Anne Scanthbury. I'm an audio producer. But it's not just One Life Left here today. I'm Chris Graft, <laughs> editor-in-chief of Gamma Sutra. This is the important part. Dot com. Don't forget the dot com. Don't forget the dot com. Chris is the reason that we've gone visual. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> Such a handsome creature. How's it going, Chris? It's going good. Um, uh, a little dehydrated. Uh, that's, that's, about it. that's about it. I flew in from the desert right before this. Okay. So I haven't quite um, replenished my fluids yet. So for me, the, the D in GDC has stood for dehydration okay. <laughs> and, and the sea uh, has stood for cold hasn't it this is the coldest GDC on record um, I don't know if it's coldest GDC ever but since 
we started recording the temperature for GDC. This <laughs> is the coldest GDC. So it's graft, dehydrated, and cold. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're joined by some uh, guests today, thank goodness, which is, you know, we come here to meet great people because we have so many great people around us. And uh, we are joined by uh, Rich Lamarchon. Hello, everybody. And Gemma Thompson. Hello. Hello. Um, so, Gemma, what, um, what do you do? <laughs> I do a variety of things, but mostly I make games. I'm a game designer and co-founder of a little indie studio based in Europe uh, called Kaleidoscope. That's good. Um, and so what are you, you're talking at GDC this year, aren't you? I am on the Indie Soapbox later today. Yes. I'm going to be ranting about how indies are not all cut from the same cloth and that we should uh, talk more about our differences and, yeah... It's interesting. We talked about that yesterday uh, on the, the sort of audio-only show we did yesterday. That one of the talks yesterday was Rami's talk, which was uh, which was that there are no the sort of gist of it was there are no simple solutions, and advice can often be very very bad for one person if you regard all studios uh, as bodies that should follow the same plan. Mm, that's something we find, and yeah, we've for, for example with our studio, we wanted to set it up so that uh, we put a focus on always paying people for their work, and if we can't pay for the work, we don't do it, and that sort of thing. And as a guiding principle, that is far harder to put into practice than theory, but it, it's hard to put into practice. But also, it does open up um, who you can work with because you know there's privilege in not having to be paid for a job or something. So, did, have you actually found that that has worked in practice? You've been able to work with different kinds of people well we don't have investment yet so no <laughs> um, i guess if any investors are, are keen on that sort of principle then we're interested but no um uh, we certainly have interested collaborators it's a matter like we want to put our when we get money we want to put it where our mouth is that sort of thing tell us a little bit about the sort of games you're looking to make well, we're making fun and accessible games um, and trying to make sure that we help other indies to do the same. Uh, so, for example, we're making a mobile strategy game, uh, which will be multiplayer, uh, local-based, and we'll have a variety of uh, particularly UI accessibility options. So people with, uh, for example, motor restrictions or who prefer to play at a different pace can do so, and they have the options at, in their fingertips in order to do that. Because uh, we find that actually improves the game for a lot of people, regardless of whether you have a disability or perhaps you're just holding on to a, a, a rail in a subway train or something whilst trying to play the game. Is that with standard technology or do you look at using other sort of devices like Leap Motion or, or, or eye tracking? At the moment we're going for, for standard technology. We want to try and push um, platforms which already people already have and then try and make those more inclusive to people so that they can get into games more. They might feel that games aren't for them, but we want to try and prove everyone wrong <laughs> I think that's an aspect of uh, sort of uh, inclusion and accessibility that people sometimes overlook like people thinking that games aren't for them yeah. that's a really great part of your mandate and particularly now that even if you don't have a games console you probably have access to a mobile device that's why we're making our first game on that platform I mean, we're, we're going to be agnostic and basically do what we like but kind of make it as inclusive as possible but that felt like a good solid start to kind of push the message out a bit yeah how do you uh, prepare for a GDC talk? Do you get nervous ahead of it? or <laughs> uh, I 
Well, this year I managed not to sleep for about three nights in a row. Um, that was caused by GDC, was it? Uh, that and Train Jam as well. Oh, okay. Um, so I came in from Chicago on the Game Jam, which happens on a, a 52-hour rail journey coming uh, to this event. So that was a pleasant distraction, at least. Uh, now the panic sets in. Okay. What, what, there's no pressure at all here, I'm sure. Um, but yeah. Have you had to compare subjects ahead of the session? Uh, how so? Well, with other people standing up and being passionate about uh, different types of games. So is it, is, it, is, it, is it a multi-person panel where you all... Oh, yes, yeah. I think there are about eight of us all okay. talking from different perspectives. And we, we basically all stand up for five minutes each talking about uh, something we think indies should know about. Right, okay. And there isn't any crossover then, as far as you know? No, I mean, it, it's been curated, okay. I hope. <laughs> Rich, you're leading a uh, multi-person talk session as well, aren't I you? I am indeed, Steve. For the ninth time this year, uh, I'm doing the GDC Microtalks. Okay, tell us a little bit about how the Microtalks works. So there's a thing uh, that has a couple of different forms uh, but the, uh, uh, that I kind of um, uh, pinched or borrowed for GDC. It's a, a, a talk format where each speaker gets a number of slides, usually 20, and then each slide is displayed for a certain number of seconds, 16 seconds for us, uh, before it automatically advances. So you're not advancing your PowerPoint slide with your arrow keys, it kind of ticks over to the next one, whether you like it or not. Uh, and that uh, means that you end up with these very kind of these talks with very accurate lengths, which is a good, good way for cramming lots of talks into like a specific set amount of time. And we just have an hour for the GDC micro talks. We can't go over that time, or we'd be in terrible trouble with the organisers. Uh, and um, uh, I uh, had been to one of these styles of sessions and um, brought the idea idea to Megan Scarvio. Actually, the first time I heard you talk, Steve. Okay. Uh, you wanted people to talk less. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I, yes, I did. I wanted, well, I wanted to, people to talk in a very kind of condensed, high-octane kind of way uh, and to not go over on time. And I believe that the, the intention of the people who originally devised this format was that they had lots of lovely friends. They wanted to have, like, social get-togethers uh, in, in the evening. And, um, but they knew, you know, like anyone talking about their work, like I'm doing right now, we have a tendency to be loquacious. So this is just a really great... and it's. I always like to think of it that it's, it's kind of playful and game-like. You've got this weird format that you have to shoehorn your words uh, into. And it does. It means that for this will be the ninth year we've uh, been able to have like uh, usually ten speakers in an hour, we got, including me each year as the kind of host and MC. Uh, and it's never gone horribly wrong. And touch wood, uh, it won't this year. Uh, what are some of the subjects that people are talking about this year? Oh, I don't know if I should let the okay. cat out the bag. That might be betraying my bond of trust. Well, with tell my us a bit about people I, who talked last year. Well, no, I can tell you who some of the micro talkers are. Oh, maybe year. we can guess what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that tell I want to play this game. Let's go. Especially not with you, Lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, no, I'm not going to do this because I would have to name them all. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be okay. fair otherwise. Uh, I mean, we've had so many great people down the years from um, uh, people like Colleen Macklin, who is a game designer, one of the creators of the meta game, the brilliant card game that you might have played. She's also a game educator. Um, uh, somebody was just mentioning Rami Ishmael. He gave a fantastic micro talk uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, kind of, um, uh, yeah, I, we've had loads of great 
great people. I think we this is the this will be the ninth year, so uh, I think we've had something like seventy two speakers so far. Most of the GDC microtalks, by the way, are up either for free on the GDC Vault or some of them are on YouTube as well. Uh, look out for Holly Gramazio's one. Did you folks see that one? I haven't seen it yet. No. Holly's an amazing British game designer, and she uh, designed um, uh, 22 games that she related over the course of these uh, 20 slides. They are amazing. It, it's very fortuitous. We do have her coming up on the show very soon. <laughs> See if you can coax her into talking about some of those games. One of them is about choosing a rock on a beach, holding it for ages, falling in love with it, investing it with all your most deepest feelings and then slinging it away down the beach seeing if you can find it again and then not caring if you can't that sounds metaphorical <laughs> <laughs> nothing gets past oh you oh my word that's, she, I, I have accidentally summoned Holly Gramazio she's stood right there hello <laughs> what did oh my god oh no she's Australian I knew so. I would get into yeah. some kind of terrible trouble in the course of the show this is not the first time I've made this mistake either so I don't have any excuse sorry Holly uh, Rich what else are you doing while you're uh, at GDC so uh, I mean my background is as a game designer man I worked in um, AAA games for like 20 years I was very lucky I worked at Microprose back in England and then at Crystal Dynamics in the Bay Area and then I had an eight year stint at Naughty Dog where I was lucky enough to work uh, on the Uncharted games but um, in, while I was working at Naughty Dog I started volunteering at the University of Southern California which has a really terrific games program and that's what I've been doing for the last five years. Um, teaching game design, development and production in the USC Games program. So really, I'm here at um, GDC uh, as if it were grad school uh, for people who never went to graduate school. And it's like I, I, what I mainly do uh, is go and sit in talks and write notes in longhand in a paper notebook and, and, then, and then set myself little assignments at the end of the day. To some, no, I don't do that. Uh, but um, yeah, so I'm just hoovering up knowledge and I already, like, I'm, I'm, you know, like every um, list obsessed game designer I keep notes documents uh, I have several different ones I'm currently uh, planning my graduate class for the fall with bits and pieces of things knowledge that I pick up here at, at GDC you know I can weave into the class I'm also planning my sabbatical <laughs> oh, I was going to ask uh, d does being at somewhere like GDC make you want to get back into game design uh, and is that what you're going to be doing in your sabbatical? Well, I'm very lucky, actually, because um, part of my job at USC, actually, is to design games. Uh, like all of my colleagues, in the, the we're, uh, one half of our program, the part I'm in, is in the School of Cinematic Arts. So I'm among filmmakers and screenwriters and animators and uh, cultural studies people. And uh, it's part of our job to, like, to keep doing whatever we, we do, albeit with a, uh, an emphasis on, on a creative endeavor as a kind of research. So I've um, start, I've become an indie game developer in a sense. Uh, Is that the dream? <laughs> like Gemma. Yes, absolutely. Gemma, what tips can you give to Rich as a, an indie game designer? Yes, please do tell me. <laughs> oh gosh, now I panic because my indie soapbox talk is exactly about like how bad tips usually are. It's like stuff like keep eating. Tends okay. to be an unfortunately common one. Hydrate and keep warm. I think Chris would be the. Yeah. Yes. I need to attend this talk. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, guys, and uh, we hope to see you around. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us.
Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC with our friends at Gamma Sutra. Uh, we've been joined by two tremendous guests, but before we get going, we were concerned, uh, this is the first time that we've done this on, on camera, uh, we've had the opportunity to um, flaunt the shoes coming on the show. Yeah. Should we have a shoe fashion show right now? Oh my I mean, goodness. I mean, look. <laughs> I well, we should, we should also remember that this is, you know, it's a radio broadcast, and so we're going to have to describe the shoes okay. as well. That's uh, we'd like to be joined by Holly and Mark. Uh, welcome. Um, Mark, uh, talk us through your, sh- your, uh, your footwear choice. Yeah, they're incredibly shiny shoes. They really are, aren't they? Yeah. Really silver. Which like. is interesting, uh, considering the name of your company. Is this a, I mean, I mean, this isn't a mistake, is it? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I actually had these shoes before we started the company, and we were having a, a hard time coming up with a name that we were really happy with and thought that this kind of iconic image would be very brandable and memorable, <laughs> and it is proven to be. So, it is. Yeah. And does it embody a lot of your core values? Yes. As a company. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, no, we do sometimes have trouble where people get confused if they don't know anything about us that we might be a shoe company who are making shoes. Like in our office, sometimes people come by and like, "Oh, what do you guys do?" Yeah, no, we don't make shoes, but uh, so you see, a, you know, you see a lot of games companies around here, and they often have themed T-shirts or something. That you know, it, sometimes they have wacky hats with one of their mascots on the top of the hat. Do you make? Uh, do all of uh, the people who work at Shiny Shoe wear shiny shoes? No, I'm working on that, though. Okay. And that's kind of part of the uh, the idea on the, the fun, silly branding side is to not come with the team T-shirts mm-hmm. and have everybody in that, but have like a line of people walking down the hallway all with <laughs> shiny shoes, which I think would be very eye-catching. Well, will that be expressed in a company-wide memo as a corporate mandate, shiny shoes? Just slightly passive aggressive. Like I've noticed a few of you, your shoes are not shiny enough, and you know it's nobody's fault. But if you could pick up, and we won't have to get HR involved. Right. I feel like it would make corporate espionage really easy, though. <laughs> All you need to do is like spray paint your shoes and sneak your way in. Yeah, uh, our art director went to Taiwan a year or so ago back, and he bought a couple of pairs of just absolutely crazy shiny shoes with spikes and their high tops. And uh, yeah, I've been trying to convince people to wear them, but right now they're sitting kind of in the the trophy case area. It's been a little bit difficult. I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure you didn't come on the show just to talk about footwear. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Let's keep why, going. Why don't you tell us what you're up to when we're not uh, discussing your shoes? Sure. So I'm here at GDC to talk about the remastering of the classic LucasArts adventure games Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango. Uh, I'm going to be personally talking about Grim Fandango, and the other person in the talk is a guy named Oliver Franzke, who's a programmer, uh, lead programmer at Double Fine. Uh, so we're kind of splitting it up that way. But at Shiny Shoe, we've worked with Double Fine on all three of these classic game remasters, which has been really cool, especially Grim Fandango for me personally, because I was an intern at LucasArts in 1997, oh, wow. and I wrote code on the original, Amazing. which was certainly thrown in the garbage, I'm sure. Right. But you know, it was kind of a cool career connection yeah. to have that early experience and then get to work on the remaster and then now be here at GDC to talk about it. What's, um, so talk us through the process of a remaster then. It's not just a case of applying new visuals and stuff like that. There's uh, clearly much more to it. Yeah, so there's a lot about the modernization of the tech because um, sometimes we only get like a, a partial snapshot of what was there originally and that's been one of the kind of really interesting parts of the process to me is this kind of digital archival um, and archaeology that's kind of necessary to look into the data and figure out what you have, how can we uh, remaster it in a way that stays true to the artistic intent of the original team. This is part of our core philosophy and part of what our talk's going to be about, um, while also trying to modernize it delicately in a way that uh, 
will make the games more accessible to a modern audience because sometimes some parts like of the player controls, for example, feel very outdated. So one thing I'm going to talk about um, tomorrow is in Grim Fandango, for example, it's shipped with what's now known as tank controls as the default control scheme, yeah. uh, which many people don't like in the industry now or gamers don't like. Um, and so we, we modernized that and made it a camera relative, kind of very modern feeling uh, third-person 3D control scheme. But I think a lot of people who play the game don't even notice that it changed. Like right. they just assume yeah. that that's kind of how it was. But so there's a lot of that kind of under the hood work that seems almost invisible, but really makes the game much more accessible. I imagine there's quite a fine line though between changing something that you know you think makes the game better, and in this case certainly does, and lives up to the player expectations of what the game used to be like. And then there must be occasions where you find things in the game and think. If we change that, does that change the creative intent of the original project? Right, yeah, we do have to, to kind of ride that line in such a way that we don't change that original intent. And in ways, uh, in places where like we've changed the controls, one thing that we've done is allow you to still select the old controls if you really want to play that <laughs> way, which is kind of like a hedge against complaints in those areas, mm -hmm. is to be like, okay, if you really want to play it using the original method, you absolutely can. Um, but yeah, we... Staying true to the original artistic intent is very important to us. So uh, there were no puzzles that you're like, this is no. a this is a bad puzzle. We'll just move this object it. here. Yeah. Uh, it's been tempting, to be honest, in some cases yeah. to to <laughs> rearrange things a bit, but no, we we haven't done that. Okay, cool. What do you think um, it is about these particular games that uh, gives them such long lasting appeal? Well, I think the the stories were very appealing. The characters were very appealing. Just the the per pure creativity and kind of uniqueness of the setting and the visuals like Grim Fandango is very memorable for a lot of people just uh, in terms of you know Manny Calavera the land of the dead kind of the the architecture of the space and um, so I think it has a, a lot to do with the story with the visuals and um, yeah just the narrative overall has really kept it in gamers minds for a long time Holly what are you doing here you know, wandering around. Picking up rocks. Yeah. yeah, no, I am doing a talk as well. I'm doing a talk on Thursday, which is about games that try to get the player to do something creative within the context of the game. So sing something or write something or create a picture, whatever it might be. And, and all of the different little mechanical techniques that you can use to do that and the different types of, of work that they tend to encourage from players. You've, uh, you've made a game like that, haven't you? I have, I have. I collaborated on a game called Cario Cards with a game designer called Steve Curran. That was literally not where I was going. I meant, I, I meant, your, I meant your painting game. The oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I made a little very silly game called Artners, which is a, a pun on art and partners, which seemed like a good idea at the time because I'm really bad at naming things. But it's just a little two-player game where you get given a, a prompt, a title of an artwork and a really limited tool set that's randomised each time. So you, you try to scurry and frantically do something that, that fulfils this prompt with these very awkward controls and these very awkward, different paint tools that you can't really get used to because they change each time. And yeah, I, I curate a festival called Now Play This, which runs in London. And last year, we had a particular focus on games that encourage creativity in their players in, in some way. So it was just interesting to see all the different tricks that people use to do that. Um, have you ever come across uh, someone playing a game that just doesn't have a creative streak? That you've, You can try to encourage them to be creative in a game, but they just don't have it. It's never going to happen. Huh. Uh... Not really, no. Like I, I, I think usually people who really, really don't want 
to play a game like that, whether it's because they're in public or because they just don't fancy it at the time, will stop before they even get to the point of picking it up. Once you've convinced someone to, to give it a go, then if the game's got the right set of tools and constraints, then, then everyone's going to come up with something. I assume part of it is tricking people into creating things as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Trickery is, is I would say top three <laughs> so so tricking people into doing something without realizing they're doing it um constraining it to prevent them from making the sorts of mistakes that people usually make mm-hmm. and i guess um enforced cooperation or competition just using other people who are present to to make them desperately want to do a thing peer pressure yeah <laughs> absolutely so you're talking on thursday um and what day are you talking on it's on Wednesday at Wednesday. 3.30. Okay, Wednesday at 3.30. Uh, apart from your talks, do you have any recommendations for other talks that you're looking forward to on the schedule? Yes, actually, right after this, uh, a guy named Tim Keenan, <coughs> a local independent game developer here in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, is talking about uh, his approach to developing his game, Duskers, and how he iterated on the creative aspects Love of that. Love that game. And uh, Tim came to our office and we were practicing our talks he gave his I gave mine we gave feedback and I thought it was really cool and uh, really interesting so I recommend if you're available go see it after this I'm heading off to a talk by Jen Sandercock partly because her work is really interesting she's done a series of of games that are uh, playable and also edible so you you eat them in the course of playing but it's actually mechanically important that you eat them rather than like oh it's chess but also the pieces are all chocolate right (laughs) so that's super interesting but also about five people already have said oh do you know Jen you must know Jen. Oh, oh, oh you'd, you'd love Jen. So either she'll be my new best friend or I'll just hate her seethingly from the audience and I'm really interested to find out which. GDC really is about creating friends and enemies. So I look forward to hearing how that one goes. Um, and have, you got, have either of you got anything else planned for whilst you're at GDC? Anything outside of talks? Well, a lot of meetings, a lot of business development, but <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of parties too. There's a, I mean, tomorrow night, probably most people have more than one thing scheduled it's a little bit crazy uh yeah we're just not invited to any parties so we're trying to figure out where we're just stealthily working out what's going on yeah just just we're we're going there too we just want to know what you say first like have you got a plus one or a plus three (laughs) (laughs) thank you both so much for coming on the show uh you know both of your talks sound super interesting uh we will encourage people to attend all right thank you Welcome back to uh, One Life Left with GDC and with Gama Sutra. How's it going, Chris? I'm, I'm it's good. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy. GDC's already over, and we're all just wrapping it up on this beautiful Friday yeah. afternoon. <laughs> so fast this year. We're going to splice that in for the Friday podcast so we don't have to show up. I get it. Did you like the, uh, like the formal way I closed the previous interview? We, we will encourage people to attend. That is... <laughs> you know, it's the best we can do. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds vaguely threatening Just, as well. We will, <laughs> we will encourage people to attend. If you had not been up to scratch in this in this thing, we would have uh, would have encouraged people to stay away. But that's, <laughs> that's not how it is. We've got uh, two new guests. Uh, we're joined by uh, Kenny Young and Grant Schonkweiler. Hello, guys. Hello. 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 Welcome to our Twitch uh, Twitch stream and podcast. Yeah, you can wave at the cameras. But it doesn't make great radio. <laughs> That's all right. I've got a face for radio anyway. It's fine. Us too. Kenny, uh, what are you doing at GDC this year? Um, 
I this is the the ninth GDC in a row I've been to. Okay. Um, I have the privilege of being on the advisory board, so I'm sort of I've got the slightly. I, I kind of I've got to like vaguely police the audio track, oh. and go and see all the talks that I've been mentoring over the past six okay. months. Uh, so I know what they're going to say, but I just need to make sure that they're delivering on right. the quality. Have, <laughs> has anyone ever you've turned up to their thing and they're just talking about something completely different? They They've gone rogue. Yeah. No, no, no. Walk no, up, turn the sound off. There has been some rogue slides appeared occasionally, but you rogue know, slides, rogue slides. slides. How dare they? Break I was the rules. Um, admiring your lanyard. Actually, <laughs> talk us through. Talk us through the uh, so, the various sections the that top, you have there. We've got my name, okay, and then we've got the fact that I'm a speaker. Yeah, apparently I'm event staff, which sounds okay, like an awful good. lot of responsibility. That comes with new privileges. Apparently that means I can jump queues, but I'm too British to okay. uh, <laughs> to do that. Stand on the back. Uh, I'm on the advisory board. Yeah, uh, that's my gender pronoun. So I'm a I'm, I'm a he him. Okay. And Steve Gaynor, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just see other people doing it and you wanted to be cool? Yeah, I'm a total yeah. sheep. <laughs> that's what <laughs> happens. Uh, and then the Carousel Con is a unofficial, nothing to do with all these official things. There's a little the game audio community likes to sort of try and hang out as much as possible. Ah. And at the Carousel across the road. Yeah. At every lunchtime, there's some informal little micro-talks about game audio. What do game audio people do at Carousel Con or at any Hangout? They talk about game audio, in, like, incessantly. I thought they just make <laughs> sounds. They just make noises. They, they communicate just through, through noise. <laughs> they, just, they just sort of click at each They're other. They're a higher level. <laughs> wow, we've, how long has Carousel Con been going for? This is the first year. Oh, okay. It's, 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 actually, there's been an informal meetup there for years, but right. now it's like this turning official. Official part of the show. <laughs> we need to do something along these... Uh, these lines. How long's that hole going to be there for? Yeah, absolutely. Do something down there next time, maybe. Uh, it is good where um, you know the different places that uh, game jams and cons are being taken. We've got boats, we've got trains, carousels now. Like where, where is it going to end up? Dirigibles. <laughs> That's what it ends. Zeppelin con. <laughs> uh, but I'm also doing a talk tomorrow morning at half past nine on the use of iconographic music in VR. Half past nine. Early. It's an early start. It's the graveyard yeah. You would assume that you had myself. some control of the I schedule. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, I thought it'd be a bit wrong to put myself in... I guess some people might view that as a prime slot. We I will be encouraging people to attend. <laughs> <laughs> Aggressively. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be an early night for me tonight. Right. Yeah. So uh, talk us through that particular topic then. What? Uh... So I worked on a game last year called Tethered, which is a PSVR title. And randomly, there's a managing director of Secret Sorcery, uh, Scott Kirkland there. Doing your job, you see. Wow. Promote, still Done. promoting it. Um, and uh, so Tethered, it's a, it's a strategy game. And um, VR has the, the sort of challenge of you, you can't display as much UI information in VR. Aesthetically, it's a bit of a betrayal of the sense of reality. And then also pixel density means stuff's got to be quite big. Big static UI in VR can make people sick because it's further along the line towards the worst case scenario of a full screen image that doesn't update, which is sort of doesn't fit with people's sort of sense of where they're looking. So there's various reasons why UI is problematic in VR. Uh -huh. And so the folks at Secret Sorcery asked me to look into using audio to communicate a lot of that same information. Strategy game is also probably the worst case scenario in terms of throwing loads and loads of stuff at the player. If you think about something like uh, Civilization, all the stuff that's on the screen, right. info bars. So I basically came up with this, uh, so what, what I mean by iconographic, which is a slightly weird word, but 
uh, sound symbols which represent gameplay events in the world. And when the player hears it, they've been taught it by playing the game. They come to learn what it means. Okay. Uh, so, and an example that people would be familiar with would be the, uh, you know, the bring in Metal Gear Solid. Um, when the player hears that, they know that they've been spotted. They can then look around in the world and they'll see the exclamation mark above the guard's heads and then they can respond to it. So I was basically using that technique with multiple uh, different events in the game represented by a little short music stinger. And so the first bit of the talks explaining that in a, takes about half an hour to <laughs> explain that same thing I've just said to you in a, in a minute. And then the rest of the talks talking about the interactive music system I came up with to solve the problem that when you're playing music on top of music, uh, you've got to do clever stuff to stop that sounding horrible. So you're saying at this point we only have to show up for the second half because you just gave us the whole first half. <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, can you spoil your talk for us as well? <laughs> nope. <laughs> so what you are you here to, to talk about? Do you have about? any rogue slides? <laughs> oh, it's all rogue slides. So uh, yesterday I was working with Clinton Keith on a, to, a workshop for advanced agile development processes. Uh, we've written a book um, and we were kind of unveiling uh, the first pass of the book and working through it with, uh, with a group of about 120 people. So that was really cool. And then Thursday, uh, I'm doing uh, production, working at the heart of the team part two, uh, because, you know, the best way to come up with a new title is to just add two at the end, which is a semi-sequel, uh, a spiritual sequel to last year's uh, topic uh, and talk, which is about um, the soft skills of being a leader and a manager. Um, and so this year I have four new leaders, producers from around the industry who are going to talk about, you know, um, the soft skills of building teams and, and passion and different aspects like that. What's one soft skill of a good leader? Uh, listening. Active listening, so you're making mm -hmm. eye contact. Go on. That's the simplest one, active listening, yeah. What's another soft skill of a good leader? Oh, man. Now we're going to... You should uh, say listening again just to check to see what he was. Active speaking. Uh, I was just trying to get you to spoil all of your talk. No, no. See, that, here's, here's the magic is last year... You know, I was one of the, the, the main speakers, but this year I have four other people and they're each doing a section of the talk and I'm just kind of moderating and kind of mentoring them, so, so to speak, without fancy ribbons, um, mentoring their talks. Um, but, you know, another, another good one, which isn't even going to be covered, uh, would be what I like to call the camp counselor, which is partly active listening, but is really just listening to you complain about your coworkers and saying, that's that okay. That sounds awful. That's okay, Janet, Janet <laughs> likes pudding too. <laughs> I'm very sympathetic. Um, what, what else do you do, apart from talk here? Well, apart from talking. Apart from talking here, which I assume takes... And listening. And listening actively. <laughs> and uh, consoling me. Like. Yeah. Um, so, actually, I just, uh, I just got back from six months of sabbatical, of mm -hmm. wandering around the planet and working on farms, which is random. But, uh, so, I've just launched uh, two new ventures. I'm uh, one of them literally called Shonk Ventures, um, <laughs> where I'm doing production consulting, leadership consulting, team building, and, and management consulting. Um, but I've also started a nonprofit for uh, elementary, middle school, and high school students in America uh, learning game development. Those are real things. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. It's, it's that thing we were talking about yesterday at the end of the show where you just take a moment and you think, what am I doing with my life? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uplifting, um, encouraging, and a little bit depressing also for me. Well, you uh, can get involved. How do you implement something like that uh, in schools? Yeah, so what 
originally when I started talking with uh, Jonathan Hawkins and I uh, are putting this together, when we first started talking, we thought, oh, let's go teach in schools ourselves. And what we started to learn was there's already a lot of organizations doing that. And what they don't have is uh, money uh, and they don't have volunteers who have the expertise of game development. And so we said, well, we can be the bank that provides the money and the volunteers because we uh, currently run an organization together called the Game Dev Drink Up. Uh, we have uh, several thousand members around the world. Um, and so we're going to use... a lot of drinking. It's, it's a lot of drinking. We, we get a lot of people drunk. We're pretty proud of that. Um, and so we're going to utilize those people to help us uh, go and teach. And so the curriculum is, is being worked on by one of our partners. Um, but right now it's just doing summer camps, going in and teaching kids. Um, and our emphasis is uh, underrepresented demographics of the industry, so not white dudes with beards, which most elementary school students don't have beards. So that, that, you know, that helps. <laughs> um, and so you've already done some teaching. Yeah. Uh, what what have you learned? Have you learned anything from it? Like, <laughs> I, I've oh, he that, uh, <laughs> One one thing that uh, we've learned is that, um, especially in lower income areas, computer literacy is 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 almost non-existent. So before we can start teaching you how to make a game, we have to teach you how to use a computer, right? Um, so how to do email, um, and and the the main thing that I've learned is a lot of times I'm just going in and speaking at schools is that kids have no idea that um, Call of Duty is made with a computer. <laughs> it's weird to say that, but like when they're in a computer class at school, they don't understand why they're learning what they're learning and what jobs they could have. And so one of the main things I do is I come in and I just talk about all the jobs that exist with computers in the game space. Um, and the, and the, the real s the secret idea is that we're teaching kids how to code and do math and do all these things through game development because it's way more fun than uh, you know, just doing math or <laughs> learning to code you know, databases. So secret teaching. Se secret teaching and also secret learning. Yeah. Um, and so what else? Are, are you doing anything whilst you're here to sort of further that? or? Yeah. Yeah, so I've, uh, I've just been meeting with different organizations that already exist that are doing that, meeting with uh, professors at universities who have done research. Uh, but we also have a scholarship program, so I'm looking um, to meet with as many universities as possible to partner with them. Uh, for example, our first partner is Full Sail University, and so every dollar that we give in a scholarship to Full Sail, Full Sail matches. Um, so if we give a $5,000 scholarship to a student, they now get $10,000 to go to that school. So looking to find more uh, universities there to, so that when we distribute our first round of scholarships this fall, uh, they don't have to just go to one school. They can go to any school they want. That's awesome. Um, presumably both of you uh, spend a lot of your GDCs having meetings, right? Meetings seems to be a, a, a core. I just stand in the yeah. hallways. Right, okay, because that's where I was... <laughs> not so much. Um, I try not to. Okay. I really enjoy going to the talks. Would, would you meet with Grant? Would you have a meeting we, with him? Well, Grant and I know yeah. each other, so yeah. like we sort of sort of arranged we, to be here at the same time. We did. What, what did you come out the other end of that meeting? <laughs> uh, that we didn't know what you guys were going to ask us, you know? So, uh. <laughs> we're just facilitating meetings. Yeah. That's what we're doing, bringing people together. <laughs> we got a nice couple of sofas. <laughs> and, uh. well, well, that's what I was going to ask. I was, I was, I, you know, I'm wondering what the best environment is for a, for a meeting. Uh, outside for me. Really? Like, not, like 
usually for me, I'll meet somebody in the hallway and then I'll be like, can we step outside? Not not necessarily right now because it's super cold, but um, them, let's in the take sun. this outside. Yeah, let's take it outside. It sounds serious. But uh, for me, it's it's anywhere that I can get kind of some quiet and, uh, you know, the sunlight helps. So. You see, I've been inviting people back to my suite, like closing <laughs> the curtains, putting on some slow jams. <laughs> it's here to, to be, talk to you about Mario. Yeah, it just seems to be a, a, maybe the wrong atmosphere. And I'm wondering. Uh, and do you think that fairground rides or like other carousel type uh, things faci- facilitate a good meeting? Yeah. Because <laughs> cause even if the meeting's rubbish, you can just have some fun on the carousel. Well, they just spin away, right? <laughs> hey, I have a question for you. I'll see you on the next pass. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, I hope to see you both either outside or uh, on the carousel. Uh, some they point do actually get on the carousel do on, they? I think it's on Friday or Saturday. They just they, they all get on it, have a big audio spin up. Amazing. So well, fixed. hopefully, we'll, like maybe that. we'll invite ourselves uh, to have a little spin around. Yeah. Uh, nice. Thanks so much, guys, for joining Thank us. You. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the smooth, sultry tones of GDC X One Life Left. That's beautiful, Chris. That was really, Thanks. really good. Thanks. Uh, I also want to say, Anne, I think as a closer to a, an interview segment, yeah. uh, you know, I intend to see you both on a carousel is, is better good. than yeah. I will encourage <laughs> people will encourage to, people to, to attend to your, your talks. Yeah, so we're getting closer, I yeah. think, to I think a, a nice wrap-up. We're going to wrap this up well. The thing is, we, Steve threatened somebody to... Uh, threatened to promote someone's talk I think is that what it was aggressively yeah it's like aggressively it wasn't a threat I'm going to carry out that I will promote that talk (laughs) it's it's good Um, welcome back we've got uh, three new guests Sean Soren and Emily brilliant Uh, welcome guys Emily what brings you to GDC Uh, what are you doing here uh, well, a couple of things. Um, I joined a new startup last year called Spirit AI, and we're kind of coming out of the shadows at this GDC. Okay. So we've got a booth in the expo hall um, where we're showing what we're working on, which includes um, the product that I work on, which is Character Engine, which does um, conversational AI, um, and then some other products that do other things related to gaming as well. So um, that's kind of the commercial affiliation for my being here. And I gave a talk that delved into some of the narrative implications of using that tool. Um, And then the other kind of piece of what I do basically at every GDC is kind of connect with people who are interested in interactive fiction and try to help them find each other and um, get sort of get novices brought into the fold and uh, anything that has to do with interactive narrative kind of get them hooked up with it. Okay, sounds like you have a full week. (laughs) Like quite intense. Tell us a bit about your talk. Uh, So the talk was part of the Narrative Innovation Showcase this morning. Um, So that was a talk that had five panelists talking about different games that they were building that did things kind of out of the ordinary in some way. So there was my piece where I was talking about using this particular technology and what goes into um, designing a story that can be told through conversation and and the kind of design considerations that have to go into that. But there were also some really cool talks from other people um, about... uh, Kara uh, Allison was there talking about where the water tastes like wine, which is a wonderful piece. Um, there was some cool discussion of kind of narrative in VR space, narrative using music to kind of um, characterize the characters. So it was a really fun panel to be part of. 
Okay. Um, and you're on the expo. You're in the expo hall, which hasn't opened yet, right? Yes, yes. No, I, I will be stapled to my booth as of tomorrow. Have you done that before, the expo no, thing? No, okay. I'm a little bit afraid. Mm, so I've heard, it, <laughs> I've heard it's quite intense uh, yes. there. Have either of you guys done the expo before, ever? Yeah, how, how was it, Sean? Uh, I was doing like a PlayStation Mobile title, my game Treachery Meet Down City, which is no longer on PlayStation Mobile because it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, it was interesting. I mean, I've done... It's, it's interesting because it's like game designers mm-hmm. that are developers that are there. So it's like, you know, there's a lot more apathy, I think. There's like a lot harder to get someone to be interested in your thing. Or if they are, they'll, they'll stick it out. But I, the Expo Hall kind of confuses me sometimes because okay. it's like, it seems like a consumer-focused thing at a non-consumer-focused event. Right. We, we heard from um, one of the people on the Unity booth yesterday uh, who's doing the expo that her experience is that most people just want to talk to you. They just want to tell you something uh, and then at the end go, and how do you feel about that in a sort of Q&A, Q&A style? Uh, you're not here to do expo stuff this year, though, are you? No, I'm, uh, I actually have to fly back tonight uh, okay. <laughs> before the expo hall even opens. Um, I'm here, I guess, primarily... Well, I, my primary thing was to give a talk, which was earlier today, which was called, it's a really bad title, but it's like you're trying to sell talks to people that are reading your thing, and it's called uh, Breaking Marginalized Character Narrative Molds to Write Better, Richer Characters. And so if it's... If you could rewrite that title of your talk... Yeah. Would you? Could Ab- you? Yeah, so- absolutely. I want... I don't know. Like, well, I have like a lot of... I want to make more incendiary talks, but I also... I had submitted the talk in other configurations for the last this is the third year that I submitted the talk and it was the first one that it got accepted so I feel like I, I worked on it I, I, I did a little bit of that iteration on the talk uh, submission process and it was basically a talk about like black media studies because I think like that's like the place where you get the most rep- there's so much representation it's not a lot but it's like more than like you don't have like movies that have like a lot of like disabled people in them right like it's it doesn't exist and uh you know that's still a place where most media is pretty blind to and so like i've done a lot of media studies myself and so i try to give people like like little tips like put more than two people in a prominent role that are the people that you want so that you're not saddling one person with having to be the every person they've got to be the person who doesn't get offended at things who's always very nice but also sometimes puts you in your place like 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 that kind of like walking dead lee style where i feel like everybody loved him because he was basically choose your own black man because like you could be really like affable and nice and be like what you talk about willis like that was that was very much like you could do that often people really enjoyed that weird puppetry of him uh so yeah the talk was basically about that and i guess a lot of what i do is i try to connect people and then also uh, yeah, I brought a programmer that's working on the game, so he's he's here just chilling out, taking a week off of the game. Uh, and yeah, we're just I'm here primarily, I think, to uh, uplift black and brown people in the games industry. Because when I first came to GDC in 2012, I never wanted to come again. And then I decided I was going to be defiant. And like, I mean, I had a dude who like pitched me a game about like Bob Marley, and there were no black people on the team, and I wanted to just punch him into outer space. And I didn't. I just came back and worked on, kept working on my own game. I kept giving talks to be like, fix yourself, please. Uh, has it got better? Do you feel, do you now feel like you want to come back or are you still coming back out of, you know, some defiance? He's leaving tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's absolutely. I, like, I'm, I have that radar. I'm just like, oh, brown person, brown person, brown person. It's like, it's a lot better. 
uh, it's I know more people. It's pretty great, and uh, I get all, I get more. I feel like I like that's actually why I'm like a little sad that I'm going home early because I'm missing the Blacks and Gaming party. And I feel like at those parties I'll find people or places, whatever, uh, and I'll just meet someone and I'll just be like, "Thank you for everything that you're doing. Just please keep going." And like these people, like my friend Jared Huntley, who's doing the um, indie uh, soap soapbox later today. Uh, He's here. He he'll he'll say like thank you for encouraging me. Like I go to all these things now and whatever. And it's just like just having someone to be like thank you. Like just I know you don't look like everybody else here. I don't either. But we're gonna make it through together. Like I think people feed on that and then they go back and they talk to more people and then those people come. So it's definitely getting better. It's like it's it's my like you you mean you see like a hundred more people in a sea of thousands. So. And would you say the number of people you want to punch into space has gone down? No. He's on one life left. <laughs> it's suddenly gone up. It's going up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I just blow up. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, here to, like, just meet everybody anymore. Like, the first year, you're just, like, I just kind of, like, let, like, I don't know, like, there's a lot of aggressive networking at GDC, which can be very uncomfortable. Like, especially a lot of audio people, which... I love audio, but I'm like, they're like, do you have a sound bag? I want to make your music. Well, what type of music do you like? And I'm just like, hold on, man. We haven't even like had our first date yet. Like you're trying to sell me like your whole thing. But like, and I had one of those spiels yesterday where they just were like, nice hair, man. You need audio? And it was just like, <laughs> and I'm also like, don't objectify me before you're like, again, first date. I know the exact place that you should avoid yeah, exactly. <laughs> the carousel con <laughs> where all of the audio no I mean like it's like I, I, I love my composer I love composers it's just it's like a sea of like awesome people and there's just like I don't know it's just like laser armed fish that are just shooting all and they occasionally hit each other and sometimes there's an awesome game that's like because there's way fewer games than people making music for games and Soren, tell us what you're, you're up to over here. Um, doing a couple things. Um, so I started a small uh, strategy game company about three or four years ago, and so I'm giving a talk on uh, the, our game, which came out last year, Off-World Trading Company. Uh, it's an RTS that doesn't have combat in it, uh, which makes it kind of unusual. Um, so I'm talking about how I actually think that like, RTS games are kind of an underexplored space and there's a lot more that we can do with them and like using this as an example right, right. is there no combat in that game at all um, I mean there's like bits and pieces right like you can hire you can hire pirates you can blow up someone's buildings but the, the game mechanics are structured so that you can't just do that as much as you want to I, saw, I spent last year, 2016, yeah. uh, not playing games involving guns. Okay. It was like my decision right, at the right. start of the year. And I definitely, I poured over like the screenshots, zooming in, thinking, <laughs> is, that, is there is there, there's some explosions? <laughs> and you generally, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if we deserve an asterisk on the title. Okay. Guess, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so when, we, when I first made it, I went that hardcore where it was like there's absolutely nothing in it at all mm. and then but then I was aware of like if we put a little bit of conflict in it that would dominate the game mm. and I actually solved it using like a free market mechanic which was nice because that's how the whole game works so there's this thing in the game called the black market where you can buy stuff to mess with other people right but every time like you buy a dynamite the price doubles for everyone right so like functionally speaking it's only going to happen like five or six times in the game right and uh, so it just means that's not the focus. It's okay. just the sideline there. So then the capitalists win. <laughs> uh, the capitalists definitely win in this game. So um, 
you're uh, you're here to do the board game design day. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was at a couple talks of that today. Okay, uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, so it, it's been interesting to see. I think like. People at GC have shown more and more interest in board games over time. Uh, it used to be maybe there was like one talk a year, um, and uh, it's something that I, I've been pushing for to get get more of them. And uh, eventually, we kind of got to the point where, like, you know, we think we could do a, a full day of this stuff. We think there's the interest, and you know, people are seeing so much overlaps. And I also think that like just all the different formats there are for video games now, especially the tablets. You know, you know, it's such a great match for board games, like either. Conversions or games like you know a game like Hearthstone, which is like purely digital, but obviously heavily you know influenced by by board games. Um, so yeah, it was really fun because I was we were able to kind of like pick and choose who do we who do we want to come and talk about board games here. Um, and so like kind of the lead talk was uh, Rob Davio and Matt, Matt Leacock talking about how they made Pandemic Legacy, and that was that was really awesome to see. Um, it's a, it's kind of a cool game. It's a funny game in the context of video games, a board game. Because, uh, for people who don't know. Pandemic Legacy is taking a pandemic, which is just a regular co-op board game, but then giving it persistence, right? Where every time you every time you play the game, it's kind of like this one giant campaign, and things permanent things can happen. Like a city could get wiped off the map permanently, right? Um, that type of thing. And uh, it's cool to see them play around with it in the board game space, but also at the same time you think about it in, in terms of video games. Like that's basically like every video game ever, right? Like, <laughs> it's it's kind of taken for granted here, so it's kind of neat to see how them like dealing with these issues. We um, we started uh, a campaign of Risk Legacy a couple of years ago, yeah. and we were really excited about the change in format and th that sort of permanency and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but it got to game six. There were five right. of us playing it, which included uh, me and my wife and my, uh, f f another husband and wife. Got to about game six. There was a colossal betrayal immediately. <laughs> the husband and wife uh, navigated some choppy waters immediately after right, that, yeah. and now no one talks about it. <laughs> like, so, so it's a 15-game campaign. Like, yeah. and, we, and we we should have been playing seven, but we've just left it there and no yeah, one... It's, yeah. it's, it's a really interesting perspective on, on uh, some established rules. Yeah, Is that the mark of a good strategy? game if it can destroy a marriage <laughs> then that's a good that's a good so, one yeah. yeah he actually talked in the today about a little bit about that about how in risk legacy when you win you get some bonuses yeah. going forward right yeah. which is great like that's kind of the one that makes winning fun but he expected the game to self-balance because a group of four people, if one person starts winning too many games, he expected everyone to right, gang, to gang up, up on them. Okay. But not every social group, especially if you might talk about husbands and yeah, wives, yeah, right, maybe it's not going to support that type of like gameplay. So right. it was like, yeah, we definitely saw... You know, groups where, for whatever the social dynamics, just don't match that game because they're not. It's not funny, okay. To, they right. feel like it's unfair to like gang up on so, someone. So these are things as game designers that you just can't appreciate. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> like I like, uh, I like that the, the you just nodded at me. Like, yeah. did, did you hear what he said? <laughs> it was good, wasn't it? I have, I have nothing, <laughs> but, but maybe you do. <laughs> uh, okay, um, Emily, uh, what are you doing for the rest of the week? Oh, we've said that you've had a, you're having a busy week. What about the evenings at GDC? Uh so there again, it's a certain amount of parties, a certain amount of having drinks with people that mm. want to talk. Um, I have a, an interactive fiction meetup with some people from that community just to kind of okay. connect. It's interesting. We, we just heard from the audio guys who meet by the carousel. Again, don't go near <laughs> that. Uh, I said uh, I like audio people. <laughs> like the way, um, the way these sort of uh, sub 
groups of, of like uh, you know the divisions of uh, so you've got the board game people they all hang out together you've got the um, the audio people <laughs> go around in circles together uh, where do the IF people hang out uh, usually someplace where there is food where there's um, food but uh, yeah I mean it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing also just because you never know quite how many people are going to be available to come to those things and then you wind up kind of roving around and standing in line with 20 people at Mel's yeah. um, and so there's there's definitely kind of a logistical challenge about making that work I just wonder like because the audio people have little tags they've made for their badges as well and you don't but maybe you could no, I mean, and I... then it gets all sort of sharks and jets type <laughs> thing to the groups run into each other <laughs> so the interactive fiction uh, meetups you just sit around and make stuff up <laughs> I mean, kind of, actually. But um, no, I mean, a lot of it, there's a certain amount of talking about craft. There's a certain amount of talking about, like, different tools for interactive fiction. And also, you know, people who come to those spread, like, belong to the whole gamut from people who are really into text adventures and Infocom and the kind of, like, retro approach to interactive fiction to people who really like Twine and are coming out of, like, let's express more marginalized experiences and then um, actually, you know, commercial inkle and choice of games and those kinds of things. And it's a it's a small enough world that a lot of the people who are in it on kind of an amateur level wind up knowing the commercial side also pretty well. So we also get a certain number of people who who are, like, kind of GDC visitors. They're not actually people with GDC passes, but when the IF people arrive at GDC, they will, you know, they're in San Francisco anyway, and so they'll come and hang out with us at restaurants or whatever. Okay, makes sense. Guys, thank you all so much for coming on the show today. Uh, you've all been brilliant. I will encourage people to go on a carousel with you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to One Life Left with GDC versus Gama Sutra no, in a no hall. Verses. I'm just improvising. <laughs> like, to be honest, it's it's very confusing going from One Life Left versus Gama Sutra to what we are right now, which is GDC times One Life Left. But who would um, win? Who would win who? versus well, we Gama Sutra? I think years. it's been proven by the fact that they're no longer on the side <laughs> and we're still here. Uh, my name is Steve Curran. I'm Anscan Three. I'm Chris Graff. I've uh, been joined by a new guest. Yes, apparently I'm a new guest. Um, my name is Hannah Bunce, and I work at the BBC over in the UK. Okay. We're very familiar with the BBC. I don't know if Chris is or any of our viewers are. But uh, the BBC's, my sworn enemy. Oh, right, okay. Uh, BBC is the British Broadcasting Corporation. It's, uh, it's oh, how we, oh, that BBC. It's how we find all of our news. Uh, watch it every day and then salute the Queen at midnight. <laughs> That's how it goes. Uh, so what do you do for the BBC, Hannah? Um, I am a um, games tester for uh, the children's games department. Um, we do a bunch of games for children, um, ages... Um, aimed between ages 2 to 12 and we put about 3 games a month Okay, a wow. so how long has the BBC been making games for? that is a good question that maybe I should have okay. done my research before coming out here um, make something up 90 years. <laughs> that would be impressive. It's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just Games interesting. Before the internet, that would be impressive. So, uh, so you know, the BBC's shift from uh, radio to television yeah. being the dominant form. Do you think that maybe, like, now they're shifting from 
TV to games. And in a few years, they'll be shutting down all of the broadcasting that they're doing, traditional broadcasting, and they'll be all, it'll be you'll be in charge. via video games. Me in charge of the BBC. That, that, that's making games I don't yes. know. are you talking at the conference I am okay what are you talking about I am talking about accessibility in children's games okay and how we've managed to improve our um, state of accessibility over the last 18 months through games testing okay great so how do you do that tell, tell us a little bit about improving accessibility I don't want to give too much away no, just in case obviously I would believe me I will encourage people to go to your talk <laughs> that's what I do um, so Without giving too much away, as I just said, um, mostly communication, good documentation, making sure everybody from um, the product managers all the way down to every single tester is all on the same page and have all gone through some kind of accessibility training. Okay. Um, do you, are you making this, are these uh, games for the web, games for PC? Yeah, and um, HTML5 games, um, playable on desktop browsers, um, iOS, phones, tablets, Android phones and tablets. Do you, do you often find, I, I just wonder, like, the accessibility thing, when you, whether you're fighting against, everyone is accessing these games in very, very different ways, right? So to think about the interfaces and the problems that they're going to have uh, must be quite a challenge. Uh, it is a challenge, and thankfully we have an amazing team of UX designers who are in charge of all of that. Okay. I just tell them that they're using the wrong colour contrast every now and again. So you're just here to take the glory for the... I understand. <laughs> yeah, I, that's all we do. That's all we do. Yeah. What this show is about, bringing is. talented, clever people on and just talking to them, getting them to say interesting things and then monetizing it. Yes. That's what we've been doing for years. And we're poor. I feel like I'm being monetized right now. <laughs> um, I wish so, I could. So HTML5, that's, can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's actually been going through an interesting past couple years. Um, talk about it in what regard? And, and, I'm not and, a developer, and, so I can't no. go into technical details. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, what what Steve was was talking about just uh, the accessibility of like having games in a web browser. In theory, like that's what uh, like HTML5 is just the like web games are just the ultimate thing because you can go make it like you know you don't have to make it for every single platform. Yeah. Um. I don't know if I had a question. <laughs> <laughs> that was a typical Q, Q&A question, oh, yeah. wasn't what it? What do you think? Are <laughs> um, you all right? Because it, it's just like one build for different platforms. So um, we don't really need to go into the platform-specific accessibility. Um, so we don't um, really need to concern ourselves with how like iOS behaves slightly different to Android, which and both of them are completely different to desktop. Um, so that is a major plus for us um, but then we run into all kinds of problems like on a when you are using a keyboard for example um, with HTML5 web games on a desktop browser if you press the spacebar which is what most of our developers put in as the main input button for a keyboard um, it moves the entire web page down which is a bug that comes up with every single game we test it sounds exhausting Hannah it's interesting. I'll, I'll use that word instead of exhausted, I think. Well, thank you so much for educating us about the BBC. Are you planning to have a fun rest of the week? What, are you, what else have you got on? Um, well, I am actually flying back out to San Diego tomorrow, straight oh. after my talk, okay. because there's another conference happening at the same time. 
um, which is an accessibility um, technology conference where I'm also speaking. <laughs> so it's a bit of a jet set trip, this. Okay, well, best of luck with that. Thank you. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. Welcome back. And here we are again. It's Game Developers Conference Cross One Life Left. That's the entry. <laughs> Joined here by Steve. Steve, oh, are you not going to announce yourself? Welcome back to uh, One Life Left with Gama Sutra. Uh, my name is Steve Curran. My name is Chris Graft. And I'm Anne Scanterbury. We've lost Simon Byron. We have. I mean, not for, not for good. No. We're hoping he'll but come he back tomorrow, to, but he, he had to vanish. To, he had to run off. He was a good man. That's all right. um, we should just explain that uh, for the rest of the week, our um, stream is going to be going out between 1 and 2.30 p.m., but today we had to shift um, some guests back. Why did we have to do that, Anne? Oh, because people were eating. People were eating. <laughs> people were eating, and we're very against we that. Had, we had a VIP round table right next to where we're broadcasting from the Moscone in San Francisco. We had a VIP round table set up next to me. And you know what? I never realised that a round table is literally... They're literally round, around, round, 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 round tables. tables. Those, that's, that's actually not the first time a luncheon has encroached on my plans. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Uh, so we want to say thank you so much to our guests for uh, fiddling with their schedules to be here now and for the viewers um, and listeners as well. So we're joined by uh, Brandon Sheffield Hello. and Tanya DePass. Hello. Hello. Um, so, Brandon, what are you doing here? Uh, you always ask that so aggressively. Well. Just stare right into their soul and say, what are you doing here? I'm doing two things. One is I'm uh, giving a couple of talks. The other is trying to get money. <laughs> Good. Um, do yeah. you know you should treat your badge like cash? So I've heard you about already that. got some around. You know your what neck. else I should treat like cash? What is this other thing that has cash on it? Speakers Whoa. get a little a little concession card that has seventy five dollars cash in it. So if somebody wants to rob me, they get a lot uh, like a little extra bonus. <laughs> right. So with the prices though, that's like two meals. Yeah, two meals. Mm. It's more than I was getting otherwise. I'm pretty sure that when we were notified about that as speakers, that it said you will be getting a card uh, to the cash value of up to $100. And that is true. $75 is it's, up it's to. Yeah, up to. <laughs> up to the thing. Um, so you're trying to get money? Trying to get money. Yeah, I had um, yesterday probably the worst game demo of my life. Um, oh, tell us about it. Yeah. It, I don't know if this is going to be funny to anybody. but um, We'll laugh at the end either way. Yeah. You, you know how um, when you're demoing a thing to an important person, it just falls apart? Of course. But this, but this is like, I was, t I was talking to my programmer, and we were like, okay, this is the last company that's really interested in this game. So this has to go right. And so, of course, like, it, it's, it's, it's Gunsport, which you're aware of. And um, it's a four-player volleyball with guns sort of thing. So we need four players we put in this this usb hub but it, it's not my normal one so it was acting up so like about every five to ten seconds all the controllers were turning off no so i had to balance it precariously on my knee uh <laughs> like next to the laptop and so while this is going on while people are not sure if their controller is working we also kind of just have some bad ui where when you're choosing teams there are two teams you have to hit the uh, the left stick and move one direction or another, or else it makes you AI automatically. And so people aren't noticing it or seeing that, and so they're 
like not in the game and they're not sure what's happening. And I don't know if it's them, ha they haven't gotten in or the controllers aren't working. Uh, and on top of that, if you had hit the B button to kind of try to solve this problem and go back, you actually go to the top of the menu. So it took <laughs> us about five minutes to get into a working game. And by the time we get in there, you they know, had their wallets out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just, like, ready because they think we're the best team that ever existed. Uh, and then by the time it gets in there, I'm just seeing bugs I've never seen before in my life. Of course. Uh, the, the ball is supposed to launch toward the players, and instead it's just kind of dribbling onto the floor. <laughs> and uh, the characters are all getting out of world, and I'm just like, well, I wouldn't sign this if I were you. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Do you, maybe that's a maybe that's a clever gambit. Like it's the, yeah. it's the kind of thing. It's like you don't want this. You don't want, yeah. you don't want <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, you, this game is not for you. And mm -hmm. immediately they've set up a position of opposition. They're like, well, mm -hmm. actually, you don't know me. You yeah. don't know me. I'm <laughs> uh, so you're here doing that, but which we all laughed at. So that's you know that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're also here doing a talk. Uh, what's your talk? Yeah, I have two talks. One is very soon. It's at five thirty. It's in the indie rant. And it's about taste and how you should make games that have it. And how also, though, anyone can have... Everyone has taste. They just have to bring it out of themselves. And uh, some s small exercises you can do to make what that What do happen. you mean by taste? I mean, <clears throat> identify things that you like and enjoy. And, ref and that, that should in reflect in video games that you make. Right. So it's not the idea of a of a universal value that should no, be an organ it's a very personal not. thing completely subjective yeah. you you're if you want to make a game about the differences between the Smash Mouth guy and Guy Fieri or whatever. Like, that's what you're really passionate about. Like, Chris's eyes, like, wallets out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a bleached tips simulator or something. Uh, as long as that's what your passion is, I think that that's... that's it's, it's a demonstration of taste. Good taste or bad taste, it doesn't matter. You just gotta... Sh like, don't make another Minecraft game that looks like Minecraft. Tanya, what are you talking about at GDC? Because I've seen you've got the, the, the old speaker badge on as well. Um, I'm actually doing a roundtable with Rebecca Cohen-Palacios about diversity and community advocacy. Uh, at a literal roundtable? Yes, at a literal roundtable. <laughs> okay. I think we found something here. <laughs> Interesting, I had no idea. Okay, tell us a little bit more about that, please. Um, so Rebecca is co-founder of Pixels, which is in Montreal, and I'm founder of a nonprofit called I Need Diverse Games. We're both doing diversity work in the gaming sphere. So we're going to talk about you know, getting into it, how to network, how to collaborate, also how to self-care because this is very hard and emotionally taxing work and the important thing of how to get money because the work's awesome but it's not free mm. and I'm also uh, doing a fireside chat at the Blackson Gaming event on Thursday at, at a literal fireside maybe, I don't know the venue <laughs> it's cold here, I will take a literal fire it is cold, oh, isn't it? it is cold, it's, cold it's actually GDC the coldest GDC on record yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it, not, we, we don't know if it's the coldest GDC ever, but since, <laughs> since we started began. taking records of it, it's since then. And we've been recording the temperature for GDC for the past uh, 90 or 92 <laughs> years. Uh, Tanya, I'm curious to hear, I mean, I'm sure you've had a million experiences like this, but um, I, I did a kind of small diversity initiative thing for GDC where I gave out 20 expo passes to um, people of color, LGBT folks, etc. who couldn't afford it. And, um, and immediately as soon as I tweeted it, there were a whole bunch of white people calling me racist. 
because I was trying to get people who don't look like me to come here. Welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah. um, we're actually part of the GDC scholarship program, so we have 25 people here on all-access passes. Amazing. And I do get a lot of, what about me? I'm broke, and I'm white, and I'm like, that doesn't count. Um, and I got a lot of white folks, white dudes especially, applying for the scholarship. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm I, representing. <laughs> you'll be okay. There's not a lack. You'll be all right. Um, but I get a lot, and I get a lot of, but I have this marginalization even though I'm white. It's like, okay, you still have a marginalized identity, but, you know, there's intersections of marginalization, and there's a lot of, but I really want to go, and, and there's a lot of, I feel this is my place. Yeah. So I, and I remember signal boosting that. Mm-hmm. I remember you signal boosting it. And then you got a lot of white dudes who were like, I want to go to GDC. Yeah. Is that the toughest thing that you deal with? Uh, people being annoying, shall we say? Or, or, or what is the, what's the toughest bit of running something like I Need Diverse Games? Um, one is funding because, you know, it does not come out of the ether. But also just the idea that why do you need this? Why do you need to have a separate marginalization or separate diversity initiative because there's a lot of well you know the bootstrap idea of just work hard it'll happen which we know doesn't actually work especially in this country um and a lot of it is the idea that i worked hard why don't you why can't you get your own or make your own and then when we make our own then you're being racist and exclusionary so it's it's a zero-sum game to a lot of people so my twitter mentions are fun (laughs) <laughs> and since I can't swear, I can't talk about the way in which my Twitter mentions are fun. Um, a lot of it's just dealing with, with the backlash. A lot of it is learning how to navigate the way people want to make their own narrative out of what you're doing and their expectation. I get a lot of, oh, you only care about X population. You only care about black people or women or LGBT. And they, there's not a lot of actually see what we're about versus making assumptions. Yeah, people don't understand that it's... It's, it's not that nobody cares about white dudes. It's that there are so many here already. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't need to help them because here they are. And it's like yeah. you specifically may want help, but you're so represented here in this, in this, right. in this culture already. You know, and I totally understand a, an economic disadvantage, but that unto itself does not make you marginalized in the way that we're talking about yeah. it. So since, since being an advocate for diversity, uh, what are some of the, you know, uh, the things that are the opposite of the horde Twitter mentions, like some of the encouraging things that people <laughs> have, uh, have, have. So I'm sure that you're making, uh, making a difference in getting through to some people. Yeah, I've actually had a chance to go speak at Ubisoft Montreal, at ArenaNet. I've been doing a lot of college speaking. And there's a lot of people here who I've met that, you know, I don't know them or we just only interact on Twitter and they're really happy about the work that we're doing. Um, so there's a need for it and it's there and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback whenever I write articles Um, my last thing in Polygon about Watch Dogs got a lot of positive feedback some not so good feedback got a few people telling me I'm the real racist Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) shocking and they bothered to email me from the UK from their mobile oh nice yeah, yeah, we have um, a lot of uh, that, uh, those kinds of people over in the UK as well. So yeah, so whoever HTC Vive dude is, good job. <laughs> um, I I've been doing this kind of giving out Expo Pass thing for uh, not as targeted as I do it. Have been doing it for the last year, but uh, last five years. But I've been doing it for about ten, 
And uh, it's, it's been really interesting to see a lot of folks that couldn't make it here on their own two years ago are, are here now on their own and like got a job because they came here and people were like, you are welcome. Please, please come and, and join us. And a guy who, who he, he felt like his foot in the door to this industry was the expo pass he got two years ago. He's speaking on the indie rant with me like awesome. in uh, a couple hours. So And he's probably going to seal that publishing deal. With the, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's probably going to bring it home. But, but also we haven't talked about uh, your uh, this, your like career and uh, your career advocacy for students and stuff like that. Well, yeah, students are they are the future. You you run the game career. I run the I run the cre- game career seminar, and we try to make it as diverse as possible in there because I I believe in you know showing representation uh, from the top as well as. Uh, representing from from the new people or like trying to get new people in and so yeah we've got a a pretty even gender split again this year and a fairly wide amount of diversity Uh, I like I like to take pictures of our panels and be like this is what the game industry looks like when it's it's just a bunch of folks that make video games and it's it's not just all the same people that have my face. <laughs> yeah, but that brings up a point about access because a lot of people can't come to GDC. Right. Even with the $200 Expo Pass, it's just insurmountable to come for four days or five or whatever it is. So that's why I'm glad that we're in the GC scholarship program because a lot of people, they're just on the cusp of I'm graduating or I've got a year in the industry, mm-hmm. but my studio won't send me yet. So it's a way to give that access because walking around here, I've seen a lot more people of color. I've seen more women. And that's the encouraging part. Yeah, and there are also the student passes now, which yeah. are even cheaper. And not that I mean, really, the best part of GDC for me is the, uh, you know, the networking and the hanging out stuff. But at the very least, the career seminar is all free on Vault, so people can can watch it and hopefully feel a little encouraged. And I think advocacy is too, right? Yep. Yeah. Expo pass will get you into advocacy. Yeah. Um, this is so great. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to hear a lot more conversations like this as we uh, chat to people on the sofas this week. Um, thank you both so much for uh, coming on. Thank you for doing the jobs that you do. Um, and good luck with your talks. Um, and we are wrapping up for today. I think it's happening. Congratulations. I think it's, I think it's happening. We did the first. We did it. We did it. We did it. 2017. It's. We did it. We did it. Well done, us. <laughs> ne- until next year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> until so, tomorrow. <laughs> so do join us back. Uh, we'll be on our Twitch stream tomorrow at 1 p.m. Uh, we've got a host of incredible guests. Mm. Incredible Super guests. Super excited. But today's been pretty good been as well. Excellent. Thank you to all of our uh, guests today. Thank you to you, Chris, for your sterling work. Uh, And we will see you all tomorrow. Stay hydrated.